welcome, a special welcome today, um, Easter today, obviously, a great day to worship our King, just to pause and remember really what Christ has done for us. But if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 23 this morning. We want to dig into a, a text just a little bit uh, here today, but this actually is the third part of a three-part series and what we've been doing is we've been looking at the three or the number of crowds that really existed at the time of the, that week, especially that week of the life of Christ. And, and last Sunday, we looked at the crowd who abandoned Jesus. I think there's a slide there, that next one, Nancy, the abandoning crowd. One week ago today, Jesus was coming into the city laying palm branches down, cheering, everybody is excited, hoping that this would be the man that would free them from the tyranny of the Roman government, that hated Roman government. But four days later, these people really were nowhere to be found. Remember when Jesus was took before the crowds, another crowd, and all of a sudden they they asked, should he release Barabbas or Jesus? And remember what they said, Barabbas. And they took Jesus to be crucified. That was a crowd that abandoned here. But there was that other crowd as well, and it was made up of the religious rulers, and is a group of people that actually hated, they really despised Jesus. We looked at that at Monday Thursday as well this past week. But they understand they were losing their influence. These leaders were people were following Jesus and they didn't like it. And this crowd, the leaders, rejected Jesus, and they actively worked to put to death this man. But those two were not the only crowds of the week. Recognize that there's actually two more that existed during that week. And maybe they weren't as engaging as a rejecting crowd, and, 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 but they were still present and they were still watching. Now, we want, this is where we want to dig a little bit in just a few verses, but just imagine yourself back at that time. And if, and if you would have been there when they said, crucify Jesus, the people around you are going, hey, get rid of this guy. And you just think of the feelings of what it would have been like then to watch as these men and the soldiers took Jesus away. And they started leading him down a path to that hill. Look, look how it reads in Luke 23, 26. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country and put a cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Now get the picture here. They grabbed somebody out of the crowd who was probably there attending this Passover feast that was taking place, and he was from the town of Cyrene. That town actually was in what we would know of Libya, northern Africa today. So he would have come great distances here. But he carries the cross for Jesus. And But here's where I want to jump ahead to verse 32 to get more of the picture. Look at how 32 reads. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Just think of that picture, looking down at these people. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. 
See, we see in this text that Jesus was led there with two other prisoners to this hill where they would put these crosses, probably dig a hole, and they would stand them up like this. And as people were watching, knowing that death was going to come to these men. And if you haven't, don't really realize that, that the death there is not from bleeding or whatever. It was really from suffocation, just the, the weight of the chest, and it would have suffocated those three men that were hanging on that cross. But then look at verse 35. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. And they said, he saved others, let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. See, the rulers there, that second group of people, these are the rejecting crowd. These people looked at Jesus, and and they were putting their thumb and saying, Jesus, save yourself. But notice there's another group of people here. That first phrase, the people stood watching. See, this uh, reveals a reality that we can't ignore. There was another crowd of people here who stood and watched. They weren't wailing with the women and that group that knew Jesus. And this, this group of people wasn't actively trying to kill Jesus. This group was hanging around the edges, watching this event. Many of them probably never even knew Jesus. And and if you're following along in that outline in the bulletin, I said it this way. This group was the ambivalent crowd. The ambivalent crowd. Now, if you don't know that word, let me put the definition on the screen for you. This is the definition of ambivalence. Simultaneous and contradictory attitudes or feelings as attraction and repulsion toward an object, person, or action. Here was a crowd watching. And I suspect their feelings were kind of going this way and this way, back and forth. And you understand, should we join in with the leaders? Should we mock him? Or should we side with the women here that are wailing and crying and, and agonizing you know, over the death that's taking place? See, I think this is what we can assume. They chose neither side. They just didn't get involved. Let's just sit back and watch. See, they chose ambivalence toward this person of Jesus. That's what they chose at that moment. Don't be concerned, be happy. They became spectators only of Jesus. But here's where I need to jump to 2015. Because when we stop and ponder that, we have to realize that there are a significant number of people in our world, our nation, that have chosen to be ambivalent toward this person of Jesus. They're even ambivalent and really just kind of nonchalant even with this book called the Bible, which communicates God's heart for this world. See, there's a group of people that want to stay on the edges where ambivalence and apathy is far easier than jumping into the game called faith with Jesus. You know what? For them, it's safer than having the deep feelings. Let's just ignore Jesus, ignore his claims. And we don't want to be, though, I think it's like this as well. They don't want to be a part of the antagonistic crowd, the rejecting crowd. 
Let's just live our lives and not worry about Jesus. But here's where I need to give you another snapshot here of this crowd. Look at verse 48. Jump to verse 48 here. When all of the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. And verse 49, now understand this is going to be a fourth group that we're going to talk about later. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Two different reactions. Two different groups of people. One stayed and the other walked away. Now here's where I need to remind you of a couple more pieces to the story and in this text which we didn't read. Remember, as, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, remember darkness overcame that area. And it says for almost three hours it was dark. And then all of a sudden at his death, you remember, there's an earthquake that happens. I don't know if you've ever been in an earthquake. Deanna and I lived on the West Coast, and it actually happened to us once. We felt someone, Mount St. Helens tremors were going. And I was like, we wanted to kind of run outside. And the feeling of that is astonishing. But these people witnessed those two things. And it says this, that they beat their chests. Now, what does that mean? What it is, it's a demonstration of some sorrow. They were sorry. But do you understand what took place here? It only lasted for a few minutes. They felt bad. They see the death. They see the, these three men dying on the cross. They're dead now. And all of a sudden, this damning phrase they went away. They went away. They walked away. Can I give you the reality of this crowd? And if you're taking notes, I said it this way, the crowd moved from ambivalence to a quick emotional response and then back to apathy again. There were no protests about his death. There was no confronting the leaders that had led the chance to crucify Jesus. They just went away. They went back to their camping spot. Remember, there was hundreds of thousands of people in this town. They would have been camping all over the place. Or they went back to their homes if they would have been from Jerusalem. Or they went to the Holiday Inn or whatever hotel they were staying at. But for those who stayed... They knew something was going on. They were catching something. But this ambivalent crowd who had a brief emotional response just walked away, overdone with it. I wonder what time supper is going to be served today. And maybe they went back to take a few notes, maybe thinking that this would be a nice novel someday or a movie someday. Listen. Many people of today stand in the crowd of ambivalence and apathy toward Jesus and the cross. And many people have grown up in the church had they been taught about the suffering of Jesus on the cross. They know about his death. But for these, Easter has no meaning There's no effect, there's no impact on one's life the rest of the year. 
See, people can come to this Easter season feeling nothing, seeing it only as a historical event in history. And they could even be slightly sympathetic, sympathetic to Jesus and his death, but they failed to grasp the significance of this monumental event. Can I ask a question here? A very hard question. Is that you today? Is this where you're at? And maybe you even call yourself a Christian, but you're still in this crowd of ambivalence. And here's, a, here's what I think I would invite you to. Would you consider the greater purpose of why Jesus died for you? He wants to know you personally. He wants to give himself to you. He wants to be in you with a new purpose for this world. And there might be people here as well this morning, you know what, you've given your life to Christ, but you have grown apathetic to him and the word. And what he wants for you, what he's inviting you to, he wants to renew a friendship with you. He invites you to give your affections and to him, to give your heart back to him. He invites you back to worship him with your life, to serve him, to be used in his kingdom. So I would invite you, if that's where you're at, I would invite you to respond. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And these next couple songs, if that's you, if you are a part of this crowd, maybe during the song, would you give and lift your heart back to him? Would you bow before him even during the music and say, Jesus, I want to come back to you. I want to be with you. I want to know you. But we want to respond here through a couple of songs as well this morning. If you didn't catch it earlier, there was a fourth crowd that was surrounded the death of Jesus in there that week. And number four for your notes, I said it this way. It was the crowd who believed. Now, it was a, that crowd of believing people made up of lots of different people. But matter of fact, I'm gonna, let me show you a verse from John 19, 25, and 26 to give you a, a taste of even who is a part of that crowd. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, that would have been John, standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here's your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. There he had a mission. But John there, he knew who that was. See, the fourth crowd really was smaller at that time. They, but they knew and they believed that they, they caught this. He was the Son of God. He was the crucified Savior. The one that the Scriptures testified toward. He was the Messiah, the one that was to come and die for the sins of the world. See, there were many, there's going to be many in people in history that are going to believe that this is the Messiah. This is Jesus that came into the world that was willing to die for the sins of the world. But here's where I want to finish up this morning. I want to give you a snapshot of one of the crowd here. 
It's a little bit unique here, but turn again to Luke 23 again. And I want to show you, verse, starting at verse 36, another person. Look at what 36 reads. The soldiers also came up and mocked him, and they offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written notice about him, which is read, This is the king of the Jews. But one of the criminals who hung there, hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Now it's interesting to note, here this one criminal, that it was also hanging and to be, he was going to die, he knew he was going to die. He actually jumped into the crowd of the rejectors. He was mocking Jesus. He didn't want to be saved. He challenged Jesus as to his position and his power. And folks, isn't it quite stunning that you would have a guy hanging on a cross that you would think that he would want to surrender to if this might be God? Wouldn't have you wanted to surrender? And you go, no. He thumbed his nose at Jesus. And his unbelief ultimately caused his rejection of Jesus. But look at verse 40, continue on. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? I think you'd have added, you idiot there. <laughs> Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. See, this second thief was a part of the crowd who responded by believing and putting his faith in this man who was hanging right next to him. And the question is, what is the words that he spoke? What did they mean? What was happening within the heart of this criminal? And if you're taking notes, I said it like this, the first one, letter A. This man actually was confessing to be a sinner. He knew it. But he acknowledged that he needed something beyond himself. He needed a Savior. He actually looked at himself, gazed at himself and go, worthless, worthless. And then he tells the other guy hanging there, don't you fear God? This, this man has done nothing wrong. I, let her be, I, I said it this way. He acknowledged that this man was sent from God. You know, don't you fear God? Buddy, he's, this is from God. This man is from God. He's done nothing God, wrong. And let her see, here's how I put it this way. He knew that Jesus was innocent. That he was being crucified unjustly. But he was no pretender. He was no pretender. See, see, there's a lot of people in this world who think that Jesus is a pretender, by the way. In my inbox this week, just this, I think it was Monday, George Barna came out with a, another poll. And if you don't know who George Barna is, he, he surveys religious beliefs in the United States. 
And the survey that he, that point he pointed out this week, he said this, 52% of the people in the United States believe that Jesus Christ was human and he committed sins just like everybody else. And this thief on the cross knew better. This was the Savior. This was the Messiah. But there's another critical point here as well, letter D, that he figured out, and at least maybe he was hoping toward, but but this is the truth. He knew that Jesus held the power over eternal life and not his good works. He didn't have any folks in terms of good works. Now, what I find on this picture, this snapshot of Jesus working in this thief's life, there's a lot of people in the Christian world who don't like this story. A man who, at the very end of his life, he gets a chance to repent and come to Jesus. As I was putting this together this week, it brought me back to a setting that Deanna and I went through. Uh, when we lived in Vancouver, Washington, we, Vancouver, Washington, we did adult foster care. And the first guy that we brought into our home was was a guy by the name of Claude. And Claude was really weak and on oxygen. It was kind of his last few years of his life. And there's a point where I think he got pneumonia, I, I believe it was, and he ended up going into the hospital. And Deanna and I had been praying for him, for Claude, and an opportunity to share the gospel with him. And we began to realize, you know what, Claude's maybe not going to make it. And so we go, we run up there one evening, and, and Deanna and Bethany and Andy, they sit in the hallway praying. And at the time, I was really young, and I, I went into the, his room, and I wanted to give a, pre, a clear presentation of the gospel with Claude. And we look back, and he did respond to that invitation, and he gave his life to Christ there in that hospital bed. And he died a couple months later. But that story for me personally, and looking at this thief on the cross, points out that good works isn't the factor here. Earning one's worthiness to get in to be with Jesus for eternity isn't the issue. Do we catch the the, the miraculous event here that took place? This man, he was an evil man. And at the end of his life, he bows before Jesus. But he, he got to participate in something that's maybe so phenomenal. Letter E, I say that this way. This thief was a recipient of the grace of God. Just think of those words. Jesus looks at him and he says, Today I will be with you in paradise. And this is a thief. He's not a nice man. What, what people speculate about this guy, the way it's written, is that he was, may have been a highway robber. In our terms today, kind of a violent carjacker. That would have been the equivalent. They'd be out, lots of thieves would hang around the paths and people would be walking through the countryside. And just like, the, remember the Good Samaritan story, they would beat him up and throw him, leave him to die. That's what they're guessing, that maybe that was his crime. But just think of that picture of Jesus turns and he looks at this thief and he gazes in his eyes 
And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Man, he received assurance that he didn't even have to wait for some future event like a rapture. The immediate reunion with his Savior in just a few minutes later. But this Jesus, folks, loved this thief and the other one that rejected him. And he was willing to die for both of them. And folks, that's what he did for us. He showed his love by coming to this world to die for us that we could be recipients of his grace. You know the rest of the story. Jesus was taken down after he breathed that last breath and he was laid in a tomb. And then two days later, his, the Father restored him and gave him life, thereby paying the penalty for sin. Why? So that when eternity starts, that one day those that have believed that by faith have put their faith in Jesus and have given their lives to him, that when they enter into eternity, Jesus is going to gaze into our eyes and say, today you're with me. Today you're with me. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. But maybe you are one here today that has never believed and put your faith in him. You're you're rejecting him. You're holding him off. You never would have been a part of the crowd. You're not a part of the crowd that runs to the tomb, who looks at the cross and says it's empty, and it's because of that we have grace. And, And here's what I would invite you to do. If that's you, come up afterward and visit. I'd love to share with you more. Grab one of the elders in the back of the bulletin. There's an elder. They'd be willing to share with you more. But folks, I want you to believe that Jesus died for you. And because of that, we have new life. And when we walk into heaven, he's going to gaze into our eyes. And today you are with me. But folks, we also need to celebrate that. If you have believed that he's risen again, what we need to do is we need to worship him in spirit and in truth. And here's here's the assignment as you sing. Would you sing to the triune God? He's the audience. You're not the audience. As we sing three more songs here, sing to the Father, to the Son, and to the Spirit and lift your voices and give them praise. Let's stand. Prison. Jesus.